What a lovely song. Singing of the amazement there is in the fact that God loves us. Right? It's one of those songs that flows out of a moment of clarity when you realize just how arrested you are, but that God loves you anyway. Thank Pastor Jones for his uh, introduction. You know, I have six children myself, well, uh, and so what happens is uh, the kids are always talking about who's the favorite. Uh, when it comes to my wife, they say, well, he's the favorite when it comes to mom, but when it comes to dad, she's the favorite, right? And so I say, no, nah, nah, I, don't, I don't have favorites. And they say, yeah, whatever, we know. <laughs> I don't know what I've done or what I haven't done to make them think that there's a favorite, but so, so I know you can't say that you have favorites, but I'm the favorite. <laughs> we, we, we meet every Thursday on the phone with a brother named Billy from California, and I have no problem telling Billy that I'm the favorite. <laughs> but in any event, um, it's just a blessing to be here. Um, you know, the welcome that we received in Wednesday night when we were here for uh, Bible study and uh, this morning um, definitely is the spirit of the Lord in this place, right? And so I would just want to commend you on how welcome and loving you are. My wife said it, um, and so we just want to ask God that he would bless you for that and that you don't change in that regard, amen? Let's turn our attention back to our text this morning in Ephesians chapter, uh, this afternoon in Ephesians chapter 5. I was tempted uh, once Reverend Fred got done to get up and just say, ditto. But that's not what Pastor Jones would allow me to do. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through the end of the chapter. The Apostle Paul writes, beginning at verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. Uh, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum it up, each of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. God, richly blessed the reading and the hearing of his word. Let's pray. Father God, we ask, Lord, that you would, even now, <clears throat> teach us in a way that only you can. Open our hearts and our minds, Lord, to truths that would otherwise not be seen if not for the dwelling of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Father God, that Christ would be exalted, that your people would be edified, Ultimately, you would be glorified, Lord, through the worship here even now. Remove any and everything that would vie for our attention. And may we center our focus on 
our loving Lord Christ Jesus. In his matchless name we pray. Amen. We began this text this morning and we looked at the church defined by love. And not only did we spend time uh, this morning uh, with the defining love of God, but we also looked at how this same love that defines us is the love that God has made us recipients of. Paul in this text, as we said this morning, has removed the veil of looking at scripture from any other lens than than through the person and work of Christ. And he has opened our eyes to see that the beauty of what God has done for us in Christ. Verse 32, as we said this morning, is the impetus of this text. The very moment you begin to let let yourself see this text as only being a text Between a husband and his wife, Paul interrupts that thinking and says, I am talking about a great and profound mystery, and that is Christ and his church. What verse 32 does, it it, it refocuses our attention on seeing this text through the lens of the person and work of Christ. And the great thing about seeing the scripture in this way is that in the gospel is the power that is necessary not only to save us from our sin, but to move us to live as if though we truly have been saved. So by Paul inserting verse 32, he is making it clear that he is not left off from talking about the gospel in order to go upside husbands and wives' heads who may not have been acting right in the church. Rather, he is unpacking some gospel truth, a profound mystery, and that profound mystery is the love that exists between Christ and his church. Not just any love, but an, an, an inter-Trinitarian love that, that God has bestowed on us by redeeming us and making us the bride of his son. He has lavished on us not just any love, right? But God has lavished on us through the person of Christ the same exact love that was shared, that, that it was and is shared between the three persons of the Godhead. In doing so, we have been joined to Christ in a most intimate way that the closest thing that Paul can come up with to, to, to help us understand just how intimate Christ is with his bride, the only thing that he can come up with is, is, is marriage between a man and his wife. This is a timely reminder as we celebrate the church's anniversary here at Glendale Missionary Baptist. It's timely because around this time of the year, when it's time to celebrate anniversary, churches begin to self-assess. Wondering if they, if they are who they are supposed to be. And at times, these self-assessments are based on the wrong thing. Have we grown in numbers? Have we added all those ministries that we talked about this time last year? Are we relevant in our respective community? How many missionaries have we sent out in the last year? Do we have a good succession plan? All these things become the basis of our self-assessment and none of them are going to encourage or remind you of who you are as a church. So Paul comes in this, this afternoon and says the reason for the celebration is not your size numerically. The reason for the celebration is not how many ministries or missionaries you've sent out. The reason for the celebration is because no matter how large or small, no matter how many missionaries, no matter how many ministries that you have, the reason for the celebration of 56 years is because you have been defined by love. You have been made recipients of God's love. And your status as the bride of Christ does not fluctuate with church attendance. 
Paul looks us square in the face of the church and says, you are indeed the bride of Christ and you have been given this designation, not because you earned it, not because you have always behaved properly, but you are the bride of Christ because God chose to put his love on you. He chose to set his love on you. And even as a man desires his, in his own heart who he will marry, God in a far greater, far more supreme level has done that when selecting us as the bride of his son. I have been married to my lovely wife, Marcy, who's sitting there next to Sister Jones. I'm not going to make you wave, but I have been married to her going on 17 years. And to this day, I can stand here with integrity and say that it was no accident. When I met Marcy, uh, uh, when I saw her, I set my attention on making her my wife. So I spit a little mac to her, Brother Ronnie. And at that point, she had no choice. It was over. The rest is history. My point is, there's, there, there, it was no accident. And in a far more supreme and beautiful way, God who is the original Mac. Through Christ, he has said some things to us that, that, that has made his grace so irresistible that the moment he begins speaking to us in Christ, we were his. Listen to the words in Hosea, in Hosea chapter 2, 14. He said, therefore, I am going to persuade her, lead her to the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her, her vineyards back to her and make a valley of a core into a gateway of hope. There she will respond as she did in the days of her youth, as in the day she came out of the land of Egypt. In that day, this is the Lord's declaration, you will call me my husband. No longer call me my Baal. For I remove the names of, of Baal from her mouth. They will no longer be remembered in her, by their name. So understanding that God has, has, through Christ, tenderly persuaded us. And now we say to him, you are my husband. Now that we have been defined by love, and now that we have been made recipients of that love, there are just two things that should be our response. We should proclaim it. We should demonstrate it. Before I make some observations about proclamation and demonstration, let me say this. The degree to which you proclaim the love of God and the degree to which you demonstrate this love does not change or alter if you have received it. Let me say that again. The degree to which you proclaim the love of God and the degree to which you demonstrate that does not change or alter the fact that if you are in Christ, you have received the love of God. Amen. Right? So our proclamation and, and demonstration is not our justification, but rather it is a fruit of having been justified by this love. Because there will be times where your proclamation will be silent. There will be times where your demonstration will be inactive. And yet that does not change the fact that we have been defined by his love and if we have been, been recipients of it, then what, the, what that being said is that the times when we are silent and the times that we are not acting the way we should, God's love is still upon us. Amen. That's good. That being said, allow me to make a few statements concerning both proclamation and demonstration. Here's the first statement. 
The proclamation and demonstration of love that we have received starts with recognizing before anything else our commitment to the two tables of the law. Meaning that when we are defined by love and we are made to be recipients of love, our proclamation does not necessarily start with us running around verbally telling everybody about Jesus. Right? It's not where it starts. But it starts with recognizing that we have been defined by love and have been made to be recipients of that love so that we might see that we are committed to loving God and our neighbor. Paul says in verse 22, wives, submit to your your husbands after the Lord. What this statement does is that it, it unpacks for us the fact that God in his grace, when he makes us recipients of his love, is that he helps us to see himself and others as more important than our own selves. This is what Paul was getting at in Philippians 2 when he says, if there is any encouragement of Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, and make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for their own interests, but also for the interests of others. And what he is saying, brothers and sisters, is that the love that we have received since it is a love flowing from the Trinitarian experience, meaning it is the love expressed and experienced between the persons of the Godhead, then it is a love that seeks the interest of others. There is no breakdown of love in the Trinity based upon the fact that each person has their own function. The son does not feel like he is less loved because he's the one that had to die. The spirit does not feel like he's left love because he's accused of causing people to throw hats down the aisle and cause people to fall out in fits. He is not saying, Father, look, look at my reputation down there. No, but the love that the son has for the father and the spirit is fleshed out in serving the purposes of God. For this reason, Paul can say in Philippians, adopt the same attitude that as of Christ Jesus who existing in the form of God and did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Adopt this mindset, says the apostle. What mindset? The mindset of considering others as more important than yourselves. This is where our proclamation and demonstration starts. It starts at recognizing and understanding that we are saved and made alive in Christ so that we can proclaim the great love of God by first loving him and then loving our neighbor. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, though. I'm not saying we should share the gospel. <laughs> but there is nothing worse than a person that has committed themselves to sharing the gospel but without sharing the love of that gospel with their neighbor. That's when you become a clanging symbol. Right? This is what John is getting when he said in 1 John 4, 20, if we say we love God but hate others, we're liars. <laughs> For we cannot love God whom we have seen and hate our brothers whom we have seen. What John is saying is don't make the love of God for, for God and your neighbor mutually exclusive. Don't make it something where you have, you have to have one and, and, and so much of one you don't have room for the other. But he's saying no, if you have one, then you have the other, right? If you say you have one and you don't have the other, then you're a liar. 
Here's a second statement about our proclamation and demonstration. Our proclamation and demonstration of the love that we have received is fleshed out in a heartfelt acquiescence to Christ being our head in everything. Our, our, our proclamation and demonstration of the love that we have received is fleshed out in our heartfelt acquiescence to Christ being our head in everything. Paul said, wives, submit to your husbands in everything, for the husband is the head. And this statement connected to verse 32 where he says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. He then is telling the church, one way we proclaim and demonstrate the love we receive is to submit to Christ as our head in everything. By the way, for this reason, this text is not only applicable to those who are married, for since Paul is talking about Christ and his church, it is therefore the responsibility of all who call on his name to acquiesce to Christ as your head in everything. What is most beautiful about this is when we consider what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, submit to Christ as your head in everything, right? What, what becomes so beautiful about that statement is when you consider what he says in Romans 7. He says, since I am speaking of those who know the law, brothers and sisters, don't you know that the law rules over someone as long as he lives? For example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law regarding the husband. So then, if she is married to another man while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. Then if she is married to another man, she is not an adulteress. But then you connect that to what Paul says in chapter 5. Therefore, just as a sin entered through the world through one man, and death through sin, and this way death spread to all people because all sin, in fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is, is not changed to a person's account charged when, when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the coming one. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if by one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. And the gift <clears throat> is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came the judgment resulting in condemnation, but for many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. Since by one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? When we couple both these Roman texts together, and we add them to what Paul is saying about, about our proclamation and demonstration means that we are, it's a heartfelt acquiescence to Christ being our head over all things. Right then, then what we can do is we can say that in the fleshing out of submitting to Christ as our head in all things, that, that here's how we can flesh that out. By our sin, we were joined to Adam as our federal head. And we were legally bound to Adam because of sin. And yet the great news is that because Christ died, he has released us from our union with Adam and we have been joined to him now as our new head. Isn't it interesting, though, that, that in order for someone to be free from their marriage contract, right, legally, their spouse had to die. Yet what we see, what we proclaim and demonstrate is that with Christ is different. For in Christ, the old spouse's death didn't free us from legal demands that we were under because of our sin. 
right? But, but, but the great thing about what Christ did, the great thing about what we see is that, see, in, in marriage between a man and his wife, one has to die in order for the other one to be free, to remarry. But yet, in our situation, our new spouse had to die in order for us to be joined together with him in union. For in Christ, the old spouse, his death didn't free us. So the new spouse died in order to be free from our old federal head. The old federal head, his death was not sufficient in freeing us from our bondage to him in that union. This is clearly seen that the moment that Adam physically died, the world still was in sin. Right? But praise be to God that when our new spouse died, when our new head died, when Christ, who is our new head, he didn't wait for the old spouse to die and say, as soon as she's free, I'm making her mine. No, but at the right time, he died. And by dying, his death has freed us from the legal demands of that old union. And since in Christ, we die also, meaning our old man dies, our old self dies. When, when we die in Christ also, then that sets us free to be in union with Christ without being called adulterers. Because Christ died. He freed us because the old man dies in us. When we die in him, we are free to remarry Christ as our head without being called adulterers. <laughs> this is the love we proclaim when we submit to Christ as our head. It is a love that has freed us from the demands of our old union. It is a love fleshed out by our new head dying in order to free us from the legal demands of our old union. It is a love that has causing us to die with him have put to death the old head so they are married to Christ without being considered loose women. I love when Pastor Jones makes the statement, many of you probably heard him say that, that, that after God cleared us in criminal court he walked us down the hallway to family court. Right? And this is a beautiful statement. After he cleared us in criminal court he took us by the hand, walked us down the aisle to family court. And I would say after God cleared us in criminal court and after he walked us down the hall to family court, he took us into the church of love and caused us to walk the aisle with his son. And instead of the, instead of the organist playing, here comes the bride, the soundtrack that is playing is, here comes the groom. Ever since Genesis 3.15, the soundtrack has been, here comes the groom. And the soundtrack got louder when Eve thought her son was the promised one. And she said, I have given birth to a man. Here comes the groom. And the soundtrack got louder when God made the covenant with David that a king would come from him. His kingdom wouldn't, would be forever and have no end. Here comes the groom. All through the prophets, both major and minor, the soundtrack of Here Comes the Groom grows louder and louder and louder. And it was during the wedding ceremony that somebody tapped Simeon on the shoulder and said, Simeon, would you sing a song for us, Simeon? We want you to sing. We're having a ceremony. Would you, would you give us a selection? And Simeon got up and walked to the front of the church and he tapped on the mic twice and he said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace. As you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation of Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. Here comes the groom. Yes, yes. And it is recognizing this, both that we are to love God and our neighbor as ourselves. 
It is recognizing Christ as our head in all things. When you are loving God with all your heart, soul, and spirit, when you are loving your neighbor as you should, you are proclaiming and demonstrating the love of God that defines you as the bride of Christ. When you are submitting to Christ as your head in all things, you are putting on display to the world that you have been changed by the love of God. Proclamation, whether it be from the pulpit or from the individual conversations, is an unpacking of the fact that that God has defined us by love. He has made us recipients of that love. And as a result of that love, I now love him and in return and move move to regard my neighbor higher than myself. And not just that, but my aim, my desire is to submit to Christ as my head in all things. This is why telling someone your testimony is not sharing the gospel. You may be a good object lesson, but telling somebody your, your testimony is not sharing the gospel. Right? As we, as a church, we proclaim the love that has defined us, the love that we have received by recognizing God and others as greater than ourselves and recognizing Christ as our head over all things. Here's a third statement regarding proclamation and demonstration. Demonstrating the love of God is aimed not at gaining God's love, but rather Demonstrating and proclaiming the love of God is a result of having been loved by God. When Paul says in, in, in verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Paul, by giving to us Christ's uh, resume in this verse, is telling us how this relationship started. It was not started by acts done by us in righteousness, but rather it was started by God setting his love on us in Christ. And maybe at times it's difficult to understand because as, 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 as fallen beings, we, we operate as if though our love for our spouse is based upon how they act. Right? We, we act as if though sometimes that is our spouse's responsibility to, to, to not only muster up love in us for them, but to maintain that love in us for them by how they act. And this is not the case with God or our groom, Christ Jesus. His love for us is, um, is measured not by the activity of his people, but his love is measured by the godness of who he is. Right before they took Christ, John records this episode for us in chapter 18. After Jesus had said these things, he went out and with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden. And he and his disciples went into it. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas took a company of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees and came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and said to them, Who is it that you are seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. I am he, Jesus told them. Judas, who betrayed him, was also standing with them. When Jesus told them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. As they were coming to take Jesus into custody so that he might be tried and put to death, knowing that he was commissioned to go through this process for the sake of his bride and out of love for his father and the church on the strength of who he was, he caused the guards to step back and fall down. 
And it is the same power that was in the statement, I, I am he that caused the guards to fall back and then fall down. In that very moment, all of the full weight of all of the I am statements became down and bared on those guards and made them fall back and fall down. All of the I am statements that God has made. I am God and there is no one like me. I am going to be their God and they shall be my people. I am the one who blots out their iniquities. Uh, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. All the power and all these I am statements came to bear in that moment as they thought they were going to put an end to all that Jesus was. Yet when they heard the I am, they fell back and fell down and we are loved and kept by this love that is based on the power of, of, his, of who he is and we demonstrate this love not to gain it but we demonstrate because it so captures us that we are moved to show it to others and the greatest thing about this the ones who came to arrest Jesus when they heard him say I am they fell down and they fell back. In like manner, when the one comes to accuse us after we have been made alive in Christ, after we have been brought into union and we have been dressed up and been made to eat fine honeys and, 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 and embroidered clothes have been wrapped around us, which is the righteousness of Christ. After we have been brought into union with Christ, there is coming a day when all those who seek to accuse us, all those who seek to bring charge against us, even the adversary who seeks to accuse us, they are going to hear from Christ, oh no you don't, not my bride. For this reason Paul can say in Romans 8, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who was against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who was the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, he's been raised. And he is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, brothers and sisters, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, no things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in who? That is in our groom, Christ Jesus. This is the love we demonstrate, not to gain anything from God, but as a result of having been loved by God. We demonstrate a love that, though it had the power to condemn, it chose to die. We demonstrate a love that once it gets a hold of you, there's no letting go. We demonstrate a love that, that no one, and I do not mean no one, can, can badmouth you to your groom. We, 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 we have a love that, that though we may be put to death, yet shall we live. We, we have a love that, 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 that says God is for us. Who cares who's against us? We have a love that, that says I have first loved you and by loving us has caused us to love in return. We proclaim and demonstrate a love that in the end, all those who seek to accuse us, 
All those who seek to destroy us will be even as those guards arresting Jesus. They will be made to fall back and fall down. You will not get any more love from God than what you have now. By thinking you will based on how much you love him. There are no levels to this love. Do not mistake growth with additional love. The very moment God sets his love on you in Christ and called you out of your grave, you were loved fully and sufficiently by him. See, unlike us, God does not need to grow in his love. Right? We, we do because we need to be sanctified, right? But, but God doesn't need to be sanctified. So the moment he loves you, he loves you 100%. Right. So so if you if you love God more today than you did 10 years ago, it's not because you've gotten more love from him. It's because you've grown. Right. And this is comforting for several reasons. First, because to the person struggling, you need to know that you are not missing out on any love from God. If you are in Christ, he has loved you fully and sufficiently already. Second, to the person that is caught up in a particular sin, yes, you should work to get out of it, but do not mistake your sin for a lack of love from God. Don't let yourself think that God will love you more once you are no longer tempted or once you are no longer in that sin. If you be a Christian, he has already loved you fully and sufficiently, which is why repentance is joyful. Thirdly, because collectively as a church, we self-assess on the wrong things at times. Does it matter if the church down the street is growing at an alarming rate? There is no more love down the street from God that's right here. When we begin to see and understand that Christ, simply being in Christ, is the single most greatest act of love, both sufficient, sufficiently and exhaustively, then we will be able to put away trying to get more love from God by our actions only to be disappointed. I remember when I was a child, my dad called home from work and there's three of us, my older sister, myself and my brother, and he said, hey, I'm bringing some candy home. We said, oh yeah. You know, our dad loves candy, so he's good at picking out candy. And so we said, yeah, dad wants me home, he, he bringing home candy, right? And so the closer it got for him to getting home, you know, I, I, I tried to do some extra stuff. I ran, I washed the dishes. You know, and, and, and I vacuumed the, the floor and my sister and brother sitting around just doing nothing. I said, okay, you're going to see. Dad came home, came in the house. He noticed that the dishes had been washed. He noticed that someone had vacuumed. He never asked who had done it. And we all got the same amount of candy. <laughs> you know, it's amazing what... <laughs> how petty kids be mad at their parents is about, about dumb stuff, right? So anyway, so I, I'm upset at this point. And so I put him to the side. I didn't, I didn't want my brother and sister to hear me hating, so I put him to the side. And I said, Dad, uh, man, I vacuumed. I washed the dishes. And uh, Janelle and Steven, they got the same amount of candy that I got. And my dad said, uh, yeah, I appreciate you vacuuming. And I appreciate you washing them dishes. But the candy amount is the same. And, 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 and what you learn in that situation is that the promise that he made to bring home candy to his children was based upon nothing else than he was bringing home candy to his children. 
And the moment I started vacuuming and the moment I started washing dishes did not make me any more of his child than my brother or my sister. And, and even though I was upset and, and, and despised the candy, there was nothing wrong with the candy. My dad kept his promise. He brought home candy. The disappointment that I felt was because I had the wrong expectations. So Paul is saying to us this, this afternoon, don't have the wrong expectations. God loves you. He loves you fully and exhaustively in Christ. Don't attach his love to any of your activities because you will grow to despise it because you can't do it. You can't gain it. You can't earn it. The love we demonstrate, we do so not to gain anything from God, but as a result of having been loved. And it's because God is for us that we demonstrate this love not to get from him, but as a result of being loved by him. Lastly, in I'm going to head to my seat. Nike had a slogan. It has a slogan. Just do it. <laughs> Many of us know it and we've heard it. Right? And I believe that Nike stole that, 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 that slogan from Paul. In verse 33. Paul said, to sum it up, wives love, love your, husbands love your wives, wives submit to your husbands. Right? So, so it's almost like Paul is saying, look, you have been, you have been made alive in Christ. You have been attached to him as, as, as his bride. And, and the love that you have received, you, you have received the love that exists between the, the Godhead, the three, people, the three persons of the Godhead. And so with all of that in mind, you, you, you love God and you love your neighbor. Just do it. Just do it. Right? James says that, that, that whatever a man knows to do is right and does not do it to that, for him, to him that is a sin. And I can stand here all day and try to tell you all type of different applications that, that, that I can come up with on my own, but Paul doesn't do that. Paul just simply says, here's what it is. Now you go out and flesh it out, right? When it comes time to love your neighbor, just, just, just do it. When it's time and it always is to love God, just, just, just love God, right? Submit to Christ, just, just submit to Christ, Right? There's no special secret formula. The moment that you have been made alive in Christ, God has given you the capacity to love him, to love his son, and to love your neighbor. And Paul says, to sum it all up, man, just do it. (laughs) Not to gain anything from him, but as a result of being loved by him. My wife, whenever she buys me something, a piece of clothing, she wants me to tell people whenever they give me a compliment that she got it for me. So I purposely didn't wear anything this weekend that she got. <laughs> but she, she, she says to me, you know, if I wear a tie that she got, uh, she picks out very nice things. She says, if someone compliments you, you have to say, my wife got it for me. I know this is what she wants. I know that at some level this brings her pleasure to hear me bragging about her and what she has done for me. And I, at some level, I, it shows a level of gratitude for what she brought. And at times, people have made statements about what she has gotten for me, and I've either forgotten or I did not want to tell them. I'm a grown man. I can dress myself. (laughs) And it is in those times that miraculously, whether we are at a church function, at a family function, she could be way over across the room talking to somebody, and it's like she can hear somebody say to me, that's a nice shirt. And if I don't say it, here she comes. I got that for him. 
Like, man, where'd she come from? Right? But isn't this what, what God does for us? He gives us the gift of his son. And everything that comes along with being loved from heaven. And he, all he says is that when you're out in the world, let them know who gave you the gift. At times we forget. And at times we do not want to tell people. But here comes God and out of nowhere and through the preaching of his word and through the fellowship of the saints, he tells everybody where the gift came from. He claims us as his own. We have walked in the church before having forgot that we have been given the gift of Christ. Whether because of some sin or distraction and God reminds us through the preaching of his word or through something another church member says or through an admonition that he has given us a gift. God reminds us he's given us a gift. And just like the times when, when I forget to tell people that my wife bought the tie for me or my wife bought the shirt, it doesn't matter how many times, brother, I forget to tell people that she got me the tie, I still have the tie. It doesn't matter how many times I don't want to tell people that she got me the shirt, it's still in the closet. And so there are going to be times where you forget about the gift you've been given. There are going to be times that you don't want to tell or proclaim or demonstrate about the gift that you've been given. And God said, my son is still in the closet. He's still in the closet. So 56 years, 56 years, God has been faithful to this church. We may have lost some people, but we've never lost our designation as the bride of Christ. We may have been through a few storms that have caused some damage. But we are still married to the one who calms the storms and the winds and the sea obey his voice. We may have seen some changes in staff and membership, but oh, we see the same Jesus. And it is this consistency of God to his, to his definition of who we are. It is his commitment to not take back from us what he has given us in Christ that we are still here proclaiming demonstrating that the love that so defines us and constrains us is a love that flows to us through Christ. The encouragement then is to remain where you have been and your understanding that we are the bride of Christ and that our duty is not to obtain anything from God through gimmicks and schemes and, and growth plans, but our duty is simply to proclaim and demonstrate love that we have received in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father God, may your word be pleasing unto your ears. May Christ have been exalted and may your people have been edified, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.